0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So stand with me, Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, we read, And he said to to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not sell up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the, the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come to the one who desires to take water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the, vo- the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray. Lord, as we close out the final words through the book of Revelation, Lord, that you encourage our hearts with the phrase, I am coming soon. And Lord, may it also be a challenge to us this morning that we be about your business we pray that you fill us with your spirits, that you would give us understanding of your word this morning, and we thank you in advance for how you're going to change our lives today. So we love you for and thank you for being here this morning, God, and for speaking to us through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Nothing puts excitement in the air like the sign coming soon, right? Everybody loves the coming sign soon, unless you live in Spring Hill and you see another tire shop showing up. You're like, yeah, that's not. I'm not so excited about that, but I love the coming soon signs, right? I mean, it's cool to see the new things coming, and it's exciting to see all those kinds of things. Well, today in our text, we have literally the greatest coming soon sign ever given, but it's not relating to a business, it's relating to a person. Jesus is coming soon, Amen. Awesome. You guys are super excited about that. Hence the title of my message this morning, His Soon Return. The words, behold, I am coming soon, are repeated three times in our text uh, this morning. And that should put some excitement in our hearts. Coming soon to a city near you, Jesus Christ. And oh man, oh man, I cannot wait for that day when Jesus comes. He is coming soon, he tells us. Three times in our text, we read that phrase, I am coming. It's it's an emphatic truth that we can count on. Jesus is going to do what he says he's going to do, and so he's coming soon. Uh, What if I mentioned to you that this phrase is specific to three people groups found specifically in the book of Revelation? So, you know, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and there are only three people groups in the book of Revelation, folks. And they're very distinct. When you look at the book of Revelation in terms of outline and the way that it's, uh, you know, put together, uh, you you know that the first three chapters, Jesus is speaking to his church. It's the bride of Christ. He's talking to you and I. That's specific to us. He's talking to the the churches, you know, there in, in chapters two and three. He's talking about, he's talking directly to the church. And then we find in, in chapters 4 through 19 that Jesus is speaking to two different groups at that point. The word church is no longer mentioned in the book of Revelation for, or in, in through chapters 4 through 19. We do find at the towards the end of chapter 19 the word bride mentioned, uh, but not the word church. And, and the, the, the next time we see the word mentioned is here in our text today where we read at, here at the end of the chapter there... Uh, the, the Lord speaking about, to the, about the church here. So, you know, his church, he has one specific message for that he's coming soon. And then there are two other groups in chapters 4 through 19. Who are they? Number one, he's talking to unbelievers, isn't he? And we find that in our text today that Jesus is still talking to unbelievers at the end of the chapter here. Jesus wants unbelievers to understand there is a warning relating to the book of Revelation for those people who are unbelievers, and he is trying to reach unbelievers because he loves people. And he longs that no one would perish but all would come to repentance. And so he speaks to that group in, in, in chapters 4 through 19. I don't know how you can miss it if you're here during that time because the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth. And God is going to be making a declaration to every person that exists on planet earth during the time. I am coming. And it should put fear in hearts. And yet we see the direct opposite it actually, people harden their hearts further and further away where they know that these, uh, these, the, this God's wrath is being poured out on earth and yet they harden their hearts even harder to where they reject him completely. But then there's another group that's being spoken of in chapter 4 of Revelation through chapter 19. And these are what are termed as the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints. And these are, it starts out, we find in chapter 6, where the Lord, you know, draws 144,000 Jews. I know you think they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not. They're Jews, 12 tribes of the 12, you know, 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, specifically. And so we've been saying, since chapter 4, when John was caught up, he being representation of the church, drawn out of the tribulation before uh, the tribulation begins he he 's taken up into heaven and then and then he 's told what must take place after this after what after the rapture of the church I believe, and then we see God draw a hundred and forty four thousand jews during uh you know during the the first part of the tribulation period so that they can be the witnesses for jesus Christ and then they they witness and then more and more people get saved and we see throughout those chapters we see that they have reached every tribe, nation, tongue of people on earth. There'll be a mixture of people who will come to Christ, but they are distinct in the book of Revelation. They are called tribulation saints. They're not called the church. That's because I believe, frankly, that in the tribulation period, it's primarily Jewish. God is turning his heart back towards the Jews. He's drawing um, you know, the, the, the children of Israel back into his fold, but they have to come the same way you, you and I have to come. And it's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So he uses these, these witnesses. So tribulation saints. So we've got the, the church, chapters 1 through 3. Then we've got the unbelievers and the tribulation saints in chapters 4 through 19. What does that have to do with our text today? Jesus is telling all three of those groups here in this chapter, the end of, these, uh, the end of this um, chapter, the end of the book of Revelation, I am coming soon. And there's three groups and there's three times he says it. I just think that's interesting. Perhaps the first time we read it in verse 7 where he says, behold, I'm coming soon. Maybe he's speaking to the church here. And he's promising the church that he's coming to rapture the church home very soon. The reason I think that it could possibly be a reference to the rapture is because of the blessing that, the conditional blessing that's associated with it. Blessed are those who keep the words of this prophecy. We'll talk about that more in a moment, but I can't think of a better blessing than being raptured before the tribulation period, amen? Anybody else excited about that? That would be awesome. I mean, I'm like, hey, if I get to pick the blessing, Lord, I'd love that one. That would be the great blessing for me, just, you know. Oh, great escapism. Call it what you want. I don't really care, but I, but I would like that. I think the Bible teaches that, though. But anyhow, so perhaps that's what he's saying here. I'm not dogmatic about that. I just think it's interesting. Then in chapter, uh, verse 12 here, he says it again, and he says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay what? Each one for what he's done. This is kind of a warning. Jesus is saying. Who's he speaking to? He's, he, he's obviously, he is speaking to believers because he talks about those who are righteous will continue to do right. So those, those people who are in Christ will be repaid, right? You know, all your works will be repaid at one point. The Lord is a debtor to no man, everything that you've done, even though it's done in the power of the Spirit of God and he's orchestrated all that from the, before the foundation of the world. Somehow you get some credit for that. I don't know how that works, but that's the truth. But he's also speaking to unbelievers here. And he's warning them that recompense is coming, that he will repay every person for what they've done. And then we find in Revelation chapter 20 where we read these words again, surely, not just behold, now it's surely, I'm coming soon. This is a guarantee that Jesus is making. Who's he making this to? Perhaps it's to the tribulation saints who have been persevering through the tribulation period, through this seven-year period there and there uh, you know, not to grow weary in these moments because Jesus is surely coming soon. It's a promise, but it's also a truth. It's emphatic. He is going to be coming. Whether or not these are specific to that or not, I just thought it was interesting. Thought I would throw it out for food for thought. But what we do know is that he is speaking to these three groups in these uh, words in this, the end of this uh, book here today. He's talking to you and I as the church today, this morning, about that he's coming again. He's also going to be reminding those who are in the tribulation period, who are believers, that he's coming again. Encourage them. And also he's reminding believers today. Why? Because he desires believers to come to Christ. So the Lord is speaking. Everybody in this room, the Lord is speaking to you today. doesn't matter where you sit with Christ He's telling you this morning, I'm coming soon. And his longing and desire is to be with you forever and eternity. He loves you so much, and he wants you to be with him. And I hope you are in Christ this morning, and that you will be encouraged by these words this morning. This is meant to be encouragement for us, and so I hope that you find that this morning. Now, his title, or the title of the message, His Soon Return, is kind of misleading, isn't it? What do you mean his soon return? Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. That doesn't seem too soon to me. Uh, I would hate, if if he means soon by waiting a couple thousand years, I would hate to see what he means by wait a little longer. You know what I mean? Like, Like when you tell your kids, I'll just hold on a second. You don't mean that. You do not mean that. You mean like I'll talk to you when I'm ready to talk to you. And it could be hours from now. But, you know, you just hold on a second, right? So. We know that that word means something different. The word soon has a totally different meaning to Jesus than it does to you and I. It reminds me of a story that I heard uh, about the Pope and uh, the soon return of Christ. And aliens had been captured here on planet Earth. And delegations had been sent to, uh, you know, uh, from all kinds of countries to interview these aliens. And religious leaders were sent there as well. And so they, they got an opportunity one by one to ask these aliens questions. And when it was the Pope's turn, he said to them, he said, hey, do you guys know about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is God the Son and, Son, and the Son of God? And they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, we know. We know Jesus, of course we know him. He visits us every year. And the Pope goes, what? What do you mean he visits you every year? Hey, Jesus is, has been gone here for, for 2,000 years. The guy, the, these aliens see that uh, the Pope is getting agitated by the fact that Jesus has visited them every year. Uh, he, he, they're trying to calm him down. They say, well, maybe he likes our chocolates more than he, he likes yours. And, and it, the Pope's like, chocolates? What do you mean chocolates? What does that have to do with what we're talking about? He goes, yeah, when Jesus first visited our planet, we gave him a nice box of chocolates. What did you guys give him when he showed up here? And you're like, oh uh, boy, uh, you, you got me there. Hey, listen, Jesus isn't holding off because his return, because he's upset that he was crucified on planet Earth. I promise you that. That's not why he's holding off. Jesus willfully came for that, folks. From before the foundation of the world, he was born for that. He wanted to come and do that. He wants to reconcile us um, he hasn't come yet because he's waiting for some more folks to get saved. So if you're not saved, then maybe you could get saved today so we could go home. How about that? That would be great. But, but the Lord seriously is trying to exhaust every avenue of every human heart before he comes back again because he loves people unlike we do. He loves people unlike we do. And if we ever really got a taste, and I hope that you do get that. I hope that the Holy Spirit, the, fr- the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's not our kind of love, but it's God's kind of love. It's that unconditional love. And when we, when we feel that for somebody who doesn't deserve it, then you understand why Jesus hasn't come yet. Because he loves people unconditionally. He has nothing to do with how bad people are or how much people continue to go the direct opposite way of him. Do you know he loves those people as much as he does the most faithful person in the world? He loves people, man. And that's supposed to be our heart for people as well. And that's the fruit of the Spirit being, you know, poured out into you and I. He's waiting because he wants people to come to Christ. But listen, there comes a point, and I don't know when that point is, when the fullness of the Gentiles, I believe that's what it's speaking about, is when the, the last, the, the number of people that God has di- dictated to be before the tribulation period, uh, you know, the last Gentile, which is anybody that's not a Jew. Get saved. I believe that's when God turns His sights back to Israel. The tribulation period begins. Rapture of the church happens right at that moment. So, but after that, it's on like Donkey Kong, folks. I mean, it's it is the end of the end. It is literally the world will not be around. It will not survive after. It's the beginning of the end where God begins to cascade His plan uh, for the end and where He will eventually. Will um, throw the, the, new, the heavens and the earth into the lake of fire. They will all be destroyed. The planet earth that we live on today will not exist. The heavens that God lives in, all that we see around us, will not exist. Be thrown into the lake of fire. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. We read about this the last two weeks. The New Jerusalem comes down. That's where we reside with Him forever and ever. But for those who are outside of Christ, they are also thrown in the lake of fire forever. Endeavor, and, and so that's the, the cascade of um, events that will happen when the Lord does come and begin to, he comes to get his church and then he returns uh, on planet earth here. So the word soon here uh, literally means rapid and unexpected. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with time as it does really to methodology that Jesus is going to come uh, like a thief in the night, He's going to come rapidly and unexpectedly. Um, That's the idea behind the phrase here. So when we read that, he is soon returned. We're thinking about Jesus when he comes. He's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come rapidly. Not necessarily, you know, hey, it's been a long time, Jesus. When are you coming? Kind of thing. Um, I've divided these verses up, uh, 16 verses up, into six sections relating to his soon return. And the first thing that we see is a conditional blessing in verses 6 and 7. Look with me there. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So in verses 6 and 7, there are two people speaking here, just to be clear. The first voice that we see here is the angel that John has been, the, the, the same angel, the, the, the one that was the seventh angel that poured out the seven bold judgments on planet Earth. He, he It's that angel that is speaking to John here, and he reminds John that these words are trustworthy and true. What words is he speaking about? He's speaking about all the words that John has heard. All the words that John has written down, they are trustworthy and true because this is this is a revelation of not, not necessarily events, but a revelation of a person whose title is faithful and true and therefore everything that John has heard so far because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ is faithful and true and it will come to pass um, we we know that that's Jesus's title that's what what he says to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 and to the church angel of the church at Laodicea right the words of the amen the faithful and true witness that word faithful right there is the exact same Greek word used in our text translated trustworthy, it's the same word. Jesus is the same. He's trustworthy, he's faithful. You can. It, it's the same, same idea, but that is the title of Jesus, and therefore all of the words relating to Jesus here, this angel says, are trustworthy and true because they're about Jesus. This is not a hypothetical revelation, folks. This is a literal revelation that has been given about Jesus, and it will come to pass. These words are reliable And trustworthy the angel goes on to say to John and the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place the angel is now making it clear that all listen to me true prophecy I didn't say all prophecy I said all true prophecy is given by God why do you make that distinction because there's a lot of false prophecy folks Uh, There are people, even in our culture today, who call themselves prophets, who say things, thus says the Lord, and then they don't happen. And somehow they still have people following them. I don't understand that. They must not understand what the word false prophet means. What it means is not somebody who has has a different view on a passage than you do. That's not necessarily a false prophet. A false prophet is somebody who intentionally says something. This is from God to elicit something from you. God's telling me right now that somebody in here has got 500 bucks in their pocket. And man, if you got that 500 bucks, we're waiting for it right now. Would you just pull it out? We're not going to leave until that 500 bucks is in the, you know what I mean? God's telling me that you're here this morning. That's called false prophecy, unless it's from God. Anybody got 500 bucks in their pocket? Par- no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but, but you see, man uses position and power, and then they start to make it about themselves, but they use God's name. God said this. That's called false prophecy. We saw that in this past election where many people were prophesying, God told me that Donald Trump was going to be the president of the United States. You're wrong, false prophet. Now, can a person recover from that? Yeah, they can. It's called repentance. And then it's called being careful about using God's name with things that I wish will happen. Right? I don't want to be wishful thinking. That's not what thus says the Lord means. Thus says the Lord means the Lord has said these things. Right? So we want to be careful. And... uh, and by the way, we we believe primarily the prophecy being given to us today is right here. It's through the Word of God. We, we really don't need new things. We just need to stick to the old things that have already been declared to us. And prophecy, I believe, in the Church Age is primarily given through the forthtelling. The forthtelling, not foretelling, like you're telling the tr- the future, but the forthtelling, speaking the Word of God to each other. That is. As much biblical prophecy as the foretelling or you know, some kind of future event or something. Not that God can't do that, and I'm not saying he doesn't do that. I'm just saying that I think that that happens. Here's how you can tell. Does it come true? So if you're listening to people who do do that you then have the obligation to follow them and make sure what they said is true. And when they don't, then you say you're a false prophet. And you need to be careful about what you're saying because people are following you and they're putting their hope in who? You and your words. So be careful. Be, Be careful about that. This angel is telling us that all true prophecy is given by God. So all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the prophets of the New Testament, everything that's been written in the word of God has been given by God. By his spirit for you and I. So that we can have understanding of the things that are going to come. This angel is telling John, he's saying he was sent to, to show John the things that must soon take place. All that John has been shown here is the prophetic word of God being revealed to him and now to us today. And so we have that truth before us this morning. In verse seven, now we have a different voice. This is somebody else speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, then those letters in your Bible on verse seven are red, which means they're whose words, Jesus's words. Why are his words red? Um, you know why. So, red letter, the red letters of chapter of uh, verse seven here. They say, "And behold, I am coming." soon. personal pronoun, I. Jesus is speaking. I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Um, You know, the idea of Jesus coming soon again is swiftly and unexpectedly. And and just to talk about the rapture, by the way, that's exactly how it will, will come. That's what Paul said when he talks about being caught up together. You know, in First Thessalonians 4.17, let me read it. And then when we who are alive, speaking about those who are alive during the time of the rapture of the church, who are left, will be caught up together with them, speaking of those who have been raised from the dead and ascended to Christ in the clouds, w- with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will always be with the Lord. But that phrase caught up there, uh, that phrase caught up there, it literally means to grab or to seize by force uh, with the purpose of removing or Controlling to seize to snatch away—it's literally to take away like violently, like it's just it's just gone. That's what it means. Now we get our word "rapture" from this word "harpazo" in the Greek. It's it's uh, "rapturo" in the Latin, which translates to the English "rapture." So if you next time you uh, somebody challenges you on, well, the rap- word "rapture" is not even in the Bible. Well, it actually is a translation of it. But if you'd rather me say "caught up together," it means the same thing. So we could. We could split hairs if you want, but anyways. Uh, But the idea is that it will be happen so fast and so unexpectedly, the world around us will just be going, "What in the world just happened?" It'll be instantaneous. Paul says, "In the twinkling of an eye." What? How fast is that? It's pretty fast, isn't it? Twinkling of an eye. Faster than you can blink. The church is pulled violently from this world. So quick, so unexpected. That the whole world sits and goes, whoa, what just happened? And you know what's going to happen. Then some dude's going to walk up and he's going to go, let me tell you what happened. And he's going to look like the savior of the world, but he's the direct opposite. He's, he's going to be Satan incarnate, man. He's going to be the Antichrist. And he's going to lead the world totally astray. But the world wants to be led astray, by the way. And so they will welcome that, that in. But the idea of us, uh, you, you know, Jesus uh, says he's coming soon. He is coming soon. And he's going to take his church from this place. Now, some people uh, say like, yeah, but then, I mean, he's been, people have been saying that for thousands of years. And you know what? Peter addresses that. In Second Peter he says, hey, when scoffers come and they ask you, where is this Jesus that you've been speaking of? You know, you're going to have people come and challenge you on the idea of his return because he's going to be gone for so long. That was God telling Peter, you know, a long time ago that it was going to be a little bit and people were going to come and mock the church over this. But we don't really, um, we're not concerned about that because Jesus, what Jesus says comes true. And so we trust what he says and he's coming soon. Um, you know, he goes on here and he gives a, bl- this is the only book of the Bible that that, ends with, that starts with a blessing and ends with a blessing. And, you know, for anyone who literally takes any kind of time to read it and understand it, you have a built-in blessing for you. Now, you are blessed if you read the Bible in general, but, but this is specific to the book of Revelation, folks, this blessing. This is a conditional blessing. If you, then God. That's a condition. If you do this, then God will do this. And here's the condition, blessed is the one who what? Keeps. The condition is keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. You want to be blessed? Uh, Revelation 1.13 says just read this book aloud. And, and you'll be blessed. The person who hears it will be blessed. Uh, but here specifically, at the end of the book, the blessing is related to the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That word keep here in the Greek is te reo, and it means to warden, to keep an eye on, to guard. Isn't it interesting that we're told to Guard the prophetic word of God that we're we're called to keep an eye on it to to not let it slip away. why because because of the length of time that Jesus has been gone the 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 you know the the challenge for us is to remain uh keeping our faith in the fact that he's coming soon and so he says, you'll be blessed if you keep this word, you keep your eye on it, you guard it like a warden, you shepherd it listen. You have been given uh, an incredible blessing in the book of Revelation. We've, we have been blessed incredibly to know uh, the end from the beginning. Do you know when Daniel saw this, I believe it was the book of Revelation that Daniel saw, and he was told to seal the book up because it wasn't for him. It was too far in advance for him to even begin to think about. That's just my thoughts that I think that what he saw was probably this. But here we find later in our text that John is told to go and let the, let the prophecy be known. And, and, and so we're, the persons were called to guard, guard this prophecy and continue to propagate it and let people know about it, to reveal it. And so many have taken their eye off of it. So many in the church have just disregarded it completely. Oh, it's too hard to understand or it's this or that, I'm not saying I have it all down, but I'm just saying it's not that hard. You read the word literally and you just, you 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 believe what it says. And God has given you a built-in teacher, by the way. And he's pretty good at what he does. And he can show you. If you really want to know, he can show you. And if you seek his face, uh, he will show you the truth. So you look to him and you ask him to help you. But there's a built-in blessing for those who who can keep prophecy, um, keep this particular book a main part of what they're guarding. Not just the gospel, we're we're called to guard the gospel and keep the gospel and give the gospel back out, but also the prophetic word of God here in the book of Revelation. And I don't know how you can do that as a Christian, not consider it and just set it aside. So many churches don't talk about end time stuff. Listen, there's not a more relevant time to be teaching through the book of Revelation than right now. Right now, I mean, the, the, the things that must soon take place, the things that are soon taking place are taking place, I think, before our eyes. And I don't know how long that's going to be before Jesus comes, but I can tell you that we are nearer than we've ever been. And I can tell you that he embedded you and I in this day and age so that we could be keepers of the prophetic word of God and, and also be revealers of it. So you want to be blessed, keep the word, keep it and, and give it back out to people. Um, you know, it, it, it can also be associated with walking in obedience. But if you look at the, it, you know, of course God wants us to be obedient to him. But specifically to this book, the only, the only real commands that we find in the book of Revelation are specific to the church in chapters 2 and 3. So you might want to keep those. You might want to obey what Jesus said there and check your heart and all of that kind of stuff. But outside of that, I think it's really just keeping the prophetic word in the forefront of uh, the christian's mind because it's meant to bless us but also put a sense of urgency in us that we are looking for the soon return of christ Uh, we've considered the conditional blessing now let's let's consider the stark reminder look at verse 8 um here it tells us that i john am the one who heard and saw these things john's overwhelmed by what he's heard and what he's seen he's so overwhelmed That it goes on, he goes on to tell us, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. This, listen, hashtag what not to do. Like just circle that in your Bible and say don't do this ever. Do not do this right here. And and it just so happens that John does it twice. He does it also, Revelation chapter 19 verse 10. Some people believe it's the same event. Could be, but, you know, I I, I like to think that we're creatures of habit. He probably did it twice, just my thoughts. But but the reality of it is, is once is too much. Once is too much. You know, John, in these moments, he's seen majestic things. I mean, angelic hosts are majestic. They come out of the glory of God. There's no doubt that they are incredibly, um, you know, and just beautiful and, and powerful and, um, you know, all these kinds of things. And John sees this, this angel in this moment and, and he's just like, wow. And he falls down and he has the right heart but the wrong person. He falls down before the angel who's just the messenger of God. And, you know, that's, that happens all over in our culture today. There are men bowing down to men who are supposedly something but are nothing in in reality, right? I mean, just if anybody's questioning this, we're all flat-footed at the cross. We're all the same height. We all got the same baggage, and we're all coming to the same place, right? There's not one person, not one human being over another that deserves any kind of worship whatsoever. It does not matter what you call them. It doesn't matter what title they have or your perception of what that even means, listen, human beings should never be worshipped. Never be worshipped. And not only human beings, but angelic beings either. You know, and, and, and they're just messengers. This angel's like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Stop that, John. And he, he goes, you must not do that. That is, that is a, a really a rebuke to John. You must not do that. What are you doing, man? Here's the interesting thing about that. John... Is in the wrong here, right? He's the one that's fallen down. The angel rebukes him, but check this out. Do you know that the angel's being tempted to receive worship in this moment as well? Do you, did you see how that works? Because we know that to be true. Why? Because Satan wanted worship. So angelic beings have the capacity to want to be worshipped. And, and this angel immediately responds the right way, and he says, you must not do that. Uh, you know, temptation comes his way. I don't know if angels are tempted. It seems like to me that uh, there was a point in time when Satan was tempted and he fell, right? I don't, I don't think that this angel's any different. Angels have free will just like you and I do, apparently. So here's the temptation for the angel. Keep it coming, buddy you know, just keep the worship coming. I am pretty awesome, and I hope that you have finally seen me in the right light in all these kinds of things, right? Because that's what some men do in pulpits, and some Christian leaders, and these kinds of things. I I remember hearing a story of Francis Chan was uh, one time at a conference, and he was sitting down in the front row of uh, this conference he was speaking at, and it was before he was getting ready to speak, and he was sitting there worshiping the Lord, and um, and then uh, in the moments, you got to love God. God just does these in, in the right moment. In the right moment of the song, he's just like, oh, man, Lord, you're awesome. And the Lord goes, hey, Francis, you really like your face up there, don't you? Oof. What do you mean, Lord? Yeah, you like these guys worshiping you, don't you? You love it that your face is plastered all over this stuff and, and how, you know, you're receiving glory. Talk about a rebuke from the Lord. And, you know, in that moment, he gets up in the pulpit like he should have, and like any person should have, weeping, and he says, you know what, the Lord just totally checked my heart and told, you know, it was telling me something that was true. I, 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 I'm enjoying this too much. I'm receiving worship, and I ought not do that. That belongs to the Lord, and just what a humbling thing to do in that moment. And, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that it's a temptation for us. Do you know your kids love to be worshiped? but they're not good gods. Your spouse might love to be worshipped, but they're not a good God. There is no God. You should never, ever worship another human being. God should be the number one thing in your life. And if he's the number one thing in your life, then everything else will fall into place. Uh, It doesn't mean that it won't be tough, by the way. But everything will be the way it should be. But if you get that order out of order in some way, shape, or form, and you put a human being up there, It's going to be tough for you, man. Do not worship me, the angel says. He goes on um, and he gives, um, he goes on to say, I'm just a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. I'm nobody. And and, and so here comes the stark reminder, worship God. Just worship God. That's where your worship should go. This seems like it should be a no-brainer, but it's not a no-brainer, and it's not a no-brainer for us. So we need to be reminded this morning, worship God. Satan would love for us to worship anything but God. And your flesh wants to. So you've already got a couple things against you. You The Spirit of God is trying to point you to Jesus and get you to give him all your adoration and praise. And you've got your flesh and you've got the enemy trying to woo you back into the world and say, No, man, they deserve you. You, they're you, They're lucky they have you on their team. You know, that kind of thing. Be careful of that stuff. Uh, This this angel goes on to um, say the direct opposite of what Daniel was told. He tells John, he's instructing John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. There's no more time to hold back the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the time is near. You know, in Daniel's day, it wasn't time, but now time is near this is the eleventh hour, folks. This, we're in the second's hand right now. Like we're th- th- this is this is as close as, as uh, you know it's ever been before, obviously. But it, this it's so near to the coming of Christ that these words should never be held back. The prophetic word should be going forward. So we find here the 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 stark reminder to worship God. Next, the short repayment in verse eleven. Then the the evil doer. Uh, let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Here's the thing is, because time is near, this, this is connecting the last verse, because time is near, time to change is limited. That's what he's saying. You only have a short period of time to change. You have in your lifetime, like, like we have basically two options here when it comes to change. We have our life, some of us, we don't know how when that day is going to end for us. Could be today, could be 30 years from now, could be, you know, when you're 100 years old. Who knows? We don't know when we're going to die, but you will die. So there's an expiration date on your life. That's number one, but then you also have the prophetic of the puzzle, which is Jesus is going to come back one day unknowingly, unexpectedly, and he's going to come out of nowhere. And so you've also got the time ticking relating to that. So you've got two clocks going in your life right now. Your time is limited. You only have so much time. And you know, for me, it took me 24 years. Thankfully, I didn't die when I was 23. I would have never came to Christ took me 24 years to figure out who God was and that he wanted to be in a relationship with me. And then I finally, I came to Christ and, you know, at, from that moment on, the clock really stopped ticking for me. Because it doesn't matter anymore. I'm his. So I, he, I do what he wants me to do. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I died when I was 24 years old. And Jesus Christ is now living through me. And so did you, whatever age you were when you came to Christ. But some people are playing with the clocks and they think they have time. Jesus is saying, no, time is near. Time is near, and listen, your faith will be sealed when you breathe your last breath or when Jesus comes. One of those two options. Once that happens, your faith is sealed. If you're an evildoer in that moment, you will be an evildoer for the rest of eternity. That's what he's saying. If you're in Christ and you die in Christ or Jesus comes back and you're in Christ, guess what? For all of eternity, you'll be in what? In Christ, what, what the angel is telling John here is that uh, there is a limit, there's a time limit, and when that clock strikes 12 o'clock, if you're unregenerated, you will be unregenerated for all of eternity, and you will spend eternity uh, you know, away from the Lord in the lake of fire. But if you're in Christ, you will spend all of eternity with Christ. This, by the way, totally flies in the face of any kind of second chance theology after you die, like purgatory for instance, this is, these things are made up because what happens is people feel bad that their family members have died and maybe they, they weren't sure about them, so they pray to them to hopefully that they can uh, be redeemed and be saved. The Bible says that we are appointed once to die and then the judgment. There is no purgatory, folks. There is no second chance outside of it. The time is near. The the biological clock in your life, that time is near, but also the coming of Christ is also near. You got a couple clocks running against you. So you don't want to live your life, um, you know, hoping you can slide in at the last second, man, and hope that you you can make it. That's not what you want to do. I like to quote my... uh, One of my favorite theologians, Eminem, you only get one shot. (laughs) Jesus said that too, though. Jesus did say that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He's not talking about music. You don't have to lose yourself in the music, but you got to lose yourself in Jesus. That's what he said. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. It costs you something, but it's worth it. It costs you your life. And the day that you come to Christ, your, your life ends and his life begins. And whatever he wants to do is fine because why? He's Lord. Lord means he's in control. He gets to do whatever he wants to do with my life because he bought and paid for it. I'm bought and paid for. If you're in Christ, you're bought and paid for. Therefore, your time is not your time. It's his time. And your skills and your gifting are not your skills and your gifting. They're his skills and gifting. So you, you have an obligation to Christ. You know, th- those who say, well, well, Christ has no expectations for us. Oh, yes, he does. He does have expectations for us. He expects us to die and let, he expects us to let him live through us. That's the expectation, folks. And... Um, If you do that, you'll walk in his commands. You'll do the things that he wants you to do. It won't be out of legalism. It'll be totally out of obligation to the Lord. So, uh, you know, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. It's a blessing not to be alive anymore, but to let Christ live through you. Now, Jesus now comes in speaking here. We know that because it's red-lettered. Uh, verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Uh, w- when Jesus comes back, he's going to repay everybody for what they've done. That's, he's, he's saying, like, you know, those who are wicked, he's going to repay. Those who are righteous, he will repay. He is a debtor to no man. And so if you are standing in your own works, then for all of eternity, you'll pay for his death on the cross. You know, you're going to pay for the price that he paid, but if, and you'll pay for your sins but, because he came to pay for those sins. But if you're in Christ, then uh, there is no debt, and you get a reward. Isn't that crazy? You get a reward. Um, he, he, he gives you his Holy Spirit to live inside you. It's not you doing these things. It's him doing these things through you. And then he already orchestrated all these things in your life for you to do, by the way, but somehow you get the credit for it. Isn't that crazy? it's it's amazing how the lord does that but but he is going to repay people for what they've done and here's the thing here's the, here's the sobering thought about it. this is this is surety but this is why he can do it and he goes on to say in verse 13 i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end he is god in the flesh he's the creator he's yes the savior but he's also the judge so he has the authority to repay everyone for what everyone has done. That's why he it goes on to say here, "Blessed are those who, wa- who are washed who wash their robes so that they may be have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates." That's God's heart for us that we would be saved. He wants us to be in eternity with him forever, but here's the reality verse 15. Outside of Eternity with Christ in the lake of fire. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I told you, I told my wife several times, dogs don't go to heaven. It says it right there. Outside are the dogs. And I, no, I'm just kidding. I, I think they do. Come on, man. I was just kidding around. Whoa. I'm kidding. But, but those who don't believe in Christ. Those who, they're outside, uh, you know, in the lake of fire forever and ever. Jesus has the authority and the right to repay everyone for everything that they've done. He's creator, he's God, and he's judge. Um, He goes on here, Jesus, he goes on here, I, Jesus, verse 16, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The churches, who is he talking about? The churches. Well, we already know that the churches he's spoken of in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are the seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, he's definitely talking to those churches, which represent, I think, the church at large. He's not just talking about those churches, but in general, the application is that he's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I today today. And um, the reason why he can talk to us in this manner is because he is the root of the descendant of David and the bright morning star. What does that mean? Both of those titles are messianic titles. They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. <coughs> I, I don't know how to do that without. <laughs> um, but, but Jesus is the root of the, of the descendant of David. Remember, David's throne was promised forever, eternal throne. He was promised uh, the Messiah would come through him and establish his throne forever. And Jesus is the root. He's not only the creator of David, but he's a descendant of David as well. That's the whole point of the genealogy um, if you go back in Matthew. That is the whole point, folks, to show that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's a descendant of David, that he belongs on the throne in Israel. That's the whole point of it. But not only that, but he's also the bright morning star. This is a messianic title reference used in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And and the idea is, the bright and morning star, the idea is that when Jesus shows up, he brings a new day and a new dawn, and there's no more darkness and there's no more sin. That's the whole point of it. Praise the Lord for that. Not only do we have the sure repayment, but we also have, we find here in verse 17, The very last invitation of the gospel in this book here. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Notice who's talking here. It says it's the spirit of God and the bride. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. I'm filled with the spirit of God And I'm the bride of Christ. Who's he talking to? Who's talking here? The church. He's talking about the Spirit of God and the bride who is the church. The bride and the Spirit are saying, What? Come. It's an invitation. This is evangelistic, folks. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world right now to draw all men to God. He's drawn all men to himself. He's trying to show people that they're sinful, that they need a Savior. And then he uses the church, his bride, to go into the world and preach the gospel to people. There's a partnership there. You can't do your job without the Spirit And the Spirit is also, not I I don't want to say dependent, but I want to tell you that you have a role to play in the partnership with the Holy Spirit when it comes to evangelism, folks. Otherwise, he would have just said, the Spirit says. But he combines it. We're in partnership with the Holy Spirit in this day and age. That's why Jesus commissioned and sent us into the world to tell people about Jesus. If he didn't want you to do that, then he would have just said, you guys just sit back and act like I'm coming and uh, just wait for me. And don't do anything. I got it all. You guys just chill out, hang out, and, uh, you know, just live your lives like, it, like you didn't die. You know, just do that, and then when I come back, we'll figure it all out. No, that's not what he said. He said, you died when you came to Christ, and your sole purpose in life is to tell other people about Jesus. That's your sole purpose in life, folks. Your sole purpose in life becomes, at the point in which eternal life comes inside of you, your sole purpose in life comes to go tell other people about the Lord. And he's, and he's given you the Holy Spirit to do it. He's given the Spirit of God on, in, in, in the world, working in, in unbelievers' lives, to draw them to yourself. And you know what? So many of us are afraid to do our job. We're afraid to tell people, oh, I mean, hey, listen, I get it. We live in a culture today where if you say the wrong thing, you're canceled, right? So what? You know what? Who cares? And you know what? Let me me put it to you this way. You roll up on the scene of an accident, the car's on fire, and you stand there and you go, there's somebody in there and they're perishing, but I'm afraid that if I break the window, they're going to get mad at me so I'm just going to watch. Listen, I'm telling you, risk them being mad at you to break the window to try and rescue them. That's the equivalent of a Christian who sits on the sidelines with their hands in their pockets watching the world perish and says nothing about Jesus. We have the words of life. We have been given the gospel. That's why you know Romans chapter 10 talks about beautiful are the feet that go into the world and proclaim the gospel to people God's already gone ahead of you the holy spirit has already been orchestrating conversations and all these kinds of things when he opens up the window all you got to do is tell him about Jesus that's it it's that simple risk your relationships folks when it's his time I'm saying be spirit led in that but be willing to risk it all because that person's life is in the balance. And, and you know, it's their choice. Their blood is not necessarily on your hands, but you have a responsibility. You've been entrusted with the gospel of peace, folks. And we have the, the opportunity to share the gospel with people. And it is an incredible privilege to be the one that gets to introduce some lost soul, somebody who has been stuck in their sin to Jesus who Can rescue them, who it changes their life, and they will be forever indebted and not necessarily to you, to God, but but what a blessing you would be in their life. Man, don't shirk your don't shirk the 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 privilege of telling other people about Jesus. You know, we we, we should be thinking about other people, being ri- willing to risk it all. Jesus did that, he risked it all for you, risk it all for him. We we see here a final, uh, the stern warning in verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to the to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. The warning is to everyone here um, that if we... If we uh, we need to preserve the 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 book of Revelation the way that it is, the way that it is. What does it mean to add and to subtract from these words? To add to the book of Revelation or to the Word of God, for that matter, is called legalism. You're adding something to it, and I know that it's always done in uh, it's always done in in you know, with a good heart, right? Well, I just, I think we just need to put a safer line in, you know. Maybe we need to back up the line a little bit and put it back here so, you know. And so we say things like, you know, uh, Christians can't dance. And I say some can, some can't, you know. But that's the reality of it. But as far as that being a rule, listen, there is no rule like that. But we just want to be safe because we know what happens when people dance. The next thing you know is they're going to the movies, And we can't do that either. That's called legalism. And that's adding to the word. And and specifically, you add to the book of Revelation in some way, shape, or form. uh, There's a consequence to that. The Lord will add the plagues of this book to your life. That doesn't sound fun. I'm I'm not looking for any more plagues to be added to my life. I don't know about you. But to, to take away from this book, what does that mean? That would be liberalism, wouldn't it? That would be to dilute... The meaning of what it, what it means to dilute it. Oh, no, God's not, there's not a real consequence for not coming to Christ. And there's not a real lake of fire and, and all these kinds of things. And you start to take away from the word of God. And he says a believer will never do that. A believer will never take away from his word. Because he goes on to say the consequence for that is that you will never, ever, and, you know, partake of the tree of life or in the holy city. You'll be banished from that. Real believers won't do these kinds of things. But, but it is a serious warning. And we need to take heed of the warning. Study this book. Interpret this book. But do not add to it or take away from it. That is the stern warning here. And finally, we find the true testimony, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The one who testifies here is none other than Jesus himself. This is his true testimony, folks. Everything that he says about himself is going to happen because this is his story. This is the revelation Jesus Christ. This isn't the revelation of the tribulation. This isn't the revelation of the end times. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is his testimony. From Revelation chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, all of it's about Jesus, folks. And it's all about him being revealed to us. Jesus goes on to assure everyone who has read this book, surely I am coming. Soon. And to that, John responds, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. You know the, the, the Aramaic word for that, Maranatha, is what Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16, verse 22. Oh, Lord, come. The, the Aramaic uh, word for that phrase is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And He's coming soon, folks. Uh, the, we end the book of Revelation here with a reminder that I think is really important for us to consider. And it's a reminder of the grace of the Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the, the end of the book, of the, by, the end of the New Testament, the end of the New Covenant, ends with grace. The Lord reminding us it's about grace. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. It's not about all the right things that you've done. It's, it's about all the right things he's done. It's God giving you grace what you don't deserve. We're not here to battle for God's favor, folks. You already have it, the grace of God. It's the unmerited favor of God upon our lives. Paul said, uh, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. Sometimes as we begin to walk with the Lord and we start to learn a few Christianese words and stuff and we, we start to forget that it's about grace, and it's, it's not about us, it's about Jesus, and it's about God, what he's done for us. And I want to remind you this morning that, it, it, you know, uh, the gospel begins with grace and ends with grace. And your life in Christ started in grace, and it should end in grace. And the grace that you've been given, you should also give back to other people. Be gracious to people. God has been gracious to you, amen? It's fitting to end this, the New Testament this way, I think. He's coming soon, church, and uh, when he does, we're going to live in eternity because of his grace. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for just this book that has encouraged and challenged us, Lord. It has helped us to uh, be reminded, God, that of the calling that we have on our life to share the gospel. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you for um, just instructing us this morning to to keep it, to keep this word, to keep an eye on it, to watch over it, to not close it up or seal it up or hide it away or, you know, act like it's too hard to understand, Lord. But you want us to dive in and you want us to just uh, meditate on these things so that we can be, so that it can put the um, this this heart of expectancy and urgency within us, Lord, to um, not only be waiting on you but also be urgently telling others about you because you're coming soon. And so, Lord, we thank you for the promise that we have in your word relating to that. We ask, Lord, this morning if there's there's anyone in this place that doesn't have a right relationship with you, that they can come to you by grace this morning. Lord, that they can put their faith in you. They can call upon the name Jesus and they shall be saved. It's it's about declaring Jesus as Lord and we thank you God that we can be rescued from ourselves Lord we pray I- anyone in this place if they would just speak these words to you Lord Jesus I come and I ask that you would wash me clean this morning you would forgive me of my sin I want to turn my life over to you I want to turn away from the things that I've been doing I'm turning to you this morning Lord Here's my life, you're my Lord, have your way. I want today, August 21st, 12.30 p.m. to be my death day. And I want it to be the day that Jesus, you rise again in me. And so I'm putting my faith in you this morning. I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you rose again from the dead for me. And I put my trust in you. Have my life. And Father, for those of us here this morning that are just discouraged about the things that are going on in the world today, feeling the weight of all the uncertainty and all of that, Lord, may we walk away encouraged this morning that uh, it's only for a short time. You're coming soon. Will you fill us with your spirit, God? Will you help us to be your church? Help us to walk in your spirit and to be vessels, Lord, to be used by you. Help us to be your voice boxes. In these last days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.